Hello and welcome to the Brian Hornback Experience. It's episode 149. And I have somebody else that's going to be on the Republican ballot March the 5th, 2024. Early voting is February 14th through the 27th. He's in office now. And what's amazing is he has no opponent on the ballot, Republican ballot, or in August ballot. But we have relatively new Criminal Court Judge Division Two, Judge Hector Sanchez. Hector, how are you? Great. Thank you so much for having me here, Brian. I really, really do appreciate it. Oh, kind words. oh, absolutely. So, um, for those people, and, and I think I, I think I've linked to it before, but just as kind of introduction, my friend Alan Williams did a pretty good story on you right after, um, right after you became the Criminal Court Division Two Judge after uh, Kyle Hickson got elected, and then moved immediately to the criminal court, um, court of appeals. Uh, so you, you're filling his spot. So you had to be on the ballot this time because the governor gets to a point, but then you got to run and then you'll have to run again in what, two more years, something like that. Uh, four, four, 2030, yeah, 2030. That's right. Yeah. Cause y'all have eight year terms. So yeah. So you got to run for the next six years. So anyway, um, first Hispanic trial judge in the state of Tennessee. Yes, yeah, it's such an honor to have that designation. I'll tell you, um, I think it certainly shows us we're kind of broadening out and moving in the right direction. And, um, you know, I always kind of say that I think you know, inclusion is very important, particularly on the criminal court bench or any bench, really. Um, right. So it's just an honor and privilege to, to be uh, sitting up there and to be serving the citizens of Knox County every day. Well, and, you know, I think, uh, and, and I'll probably link to that Alan Williams um, when, when I put when I put the podcast into brianhornback.com. I'll probably put, put that link in there again. Uh, you know, I think it's really interesting that the type of people who rightly, wrongly, just life kind of throws them into the criminal court, throws them into the court system, into the criminal court system in particular, you know, we hear a lot about the fact that, you know, um, you know, I mean, they, they had a little bit of rough, had a little bit of a rough start. And, and uh, you know, I, th I think uh, when people come into the court and they see Judge Sanchez up there, they don't fully know the story. And your story is, is an interesting story. Um, you're born in Texas, but uh, you and um, your mom and uh, you and three of your siblings wound up in Massachusetts, wound up in some homeless housing until you got into some public housing. So just kind of talk about that briefly. Yeah, it was certainly a challenging start. Uh, right. I was born in the, the Panhandle of Texas, up, uh, just outside of Amarillo and Dumas, Texas. <laughs> my mother uh, did end up um, uh, leaving my biological father and uh, went back to Massachusetts where where she had grown up and um, did not have the kind of support that she thought she would from her family. And that led us into kind of a homeless women's shelter. Uh, we spent a couple of years there until we transitioned into to public housing. Of course, I didn't know any better at that time. I was, I was having the time of my life. Right, <laughs> so right. I, I knew to be my normal. But, um, sure. Um, thing, you know, once you get a little bit older, you can understand. And one of the interesting things about my perspective is uh, some of these folks that appear before me is I've, I've seen a lot of that stuff just growing up in right. the environment. And I did, so I kind of can not necessarily sympathize. I don't really want to say that, but I can no. understand some of the circumstances that lead people to make really silly decisions, obviously. So it's, it kind of offers a different perspective uh, into a given case, I would say. Right. Well, and then uh, then your, your mother uh, 
found someone, y'all moved to Knoxville, uh, but in 2003, you enlisted in the Marine Corps. Yeah, so I came here in 2003. I just finished high school in Beverly, Massachusetts, which is on the North Shore. And uh, my parents gave me the opportunity. They said, look, you don't have any real plans. Uh, you can come with us. Uh, we're moving to the South. My father's, a, I call him my father. He's the best father I've had. He's a sure. David, David Fall. Uh, he's a physicist. He got transferred down here with Siemens. Um, mm. So I said, you know what? I'll give this off a shot. That would be interesting to experience. And um, came down here. I, I will tell you, it was a little bit in kind of a form of culture shock, I'd say, just because <laughs> uh, the pace of life is a lot slower here, which I've come to, to, to love and appreciate um, in a big way. Uh, but for someone who spent their whole life up in a very busy environment, you know, you step in the South and people are nice to you and you're wondering, why are these people being so nice to me? <laughs> you know, people hold the door for you. And just, it's just a different, different culture, uh, different part of the country. So I did want to experience that and uh, I did that. And um, I always wanted to serve my country and uh, ultimately did uh, enlist from Knoxville and joined the Marine Corps. I served four years from 2005 to 2009. I was uh, honorably discharged in 2009. And you saw you saw some conflict, I think, didn't you, overseas? Yeah, so I, was, um, I didn't necessarily, luckily I wasn't uh, right. in firefights or anything like that, but uh, my job was to transport uh, generals um, and VIPs who were visiting, uh, kind of in a clandestine kind of blend-in approach um, and make sure that they were safe and, and, and uh, stuff like that. So it was interesting. It's certainly uh, ever, ever present dangers of vehicle borne IEDs or suicide bombers and things like that. Right. In fact, the, the FOB we were stationed on, the Ford operating base, was basically a very small uh, base, did get struck with vehicle borne IED. And it was, uh, it was certainly scary. <laughs> wow. So you, you get out of the Marine Corps, and uh, what, was, it, was it in the Marine Corps that you thought, you know, I'm going to end up in law school and wind up as an attorney and a prosecutor. So, yeah, that, not at all. In fact, the plan was to be a federal law enforcement agent. So, oh, wow. Um, yeah, so so, 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 so you, your goal was to be like a U.S. Marshal or? Yeah, I mean, okay. I the Marshals, the FBI, uh, CIA, although that was probably out of reach just because they, um, they tend to recruit folks who are more special forces, often will have a finance uh, background and things like that. But, um, so I was exploring all that, and actually I had a professor in my undergrad, uh, Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia, mm. and she was a former prosecutor, and I, I really enjoyed her. She's from Ghana, and um, she talked to me and, and kind of explained to me, you know, I know you want to be a law enforcement, federal law enforcement officer, but uh, here's my perspective, here's what I did as a prosecutor, and got to interact with those folks mm. uh, on a daily basis, and, and she basically was telling me that she thought she could make a bigger impact and difference um, in the job of being assistant district attorney. So I kind of took that to heart and um, I took the LSAT exam. I didn't do great on it. And my parents agreed to actually put me through a training program. And hmm. I, uh, I did uh, well enough to um, get into UT College of Law. So that's kind of where the trajectory with regards to my legal career kind of started. Wow. And then I guess while you were at UT Law School, you uh, ended up working for, did you work for, District Attorney Sharon Mallon before um, before you became, before you finished law school or was that after you finished law school? Yeah, so right when I graduated uh, undergrad in Virginia, I moved here. Right. And, uh, actually worked for a year as a, a clerk, a full time clerk. Right. In, uh, actually, General Nichols' office at the okay. time. And um, and I worked and kind of <laughs> did a lot of file building and helped um, 
Basically, you're you're basically the guy just had to do whatever somebody else didn't want to do, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. And I did yeah. uh, enjoyed it. <laughs> I made the best of it. But it also reaffirmed to me in that year and watching some of those trial attorneys, such as you know Kevin Allen, Les Nassar, Keisha Fitzgerald, some of the greats that, that really have served as mentors to me, Ken Irvine. Um, it just kind of reaffirmed that this is what I want to do. So I went ahead and applied uh, just to UT Law. Unfortunately, uh, was able to get in. So that's when I kind of started my uh, legal training at UT College of Law. And during the entire time I was at UT, I was interning uh, at the DA's office. And when I graduated, uh, I was General Allen's first hire. So wow. Wow. That's fantastic. So, um, Fast forward to 2022, uh, we find out that Kyle Hickson is going to wind up going to the Criminal Court of Appeals. So you applied, I think, I'm pretty sure. Well, no, hold on. I think that was, I think your all's interviews might have been one of the first in-person views. Was that the one that was done at a hotel in West Knoxville? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the trial court vacancy. Yeah, the, the trial court vacancy committee. Uh, you know, the, the one thing that I'll say about COVID is that even now, uh, there's, a, I have a, well, Judge Davis, who's on the circuit court bench here in Knoxville, and Judge Hickson, who was on the criminal court bench, the bench that you're on now, uh, both moved up. Christie's, uh, Judge Davis is on the Court of Appeals. Judge Hickson's on the Court of Criminal Appeals. The thing I like, and I'm not a lawyer, I'm not going to law school in my, not even my <laughs> mid 50s anymore, but anyway. <laughs> I do like watching arguments uh, in front of the Court of Appeals and Court of Criminal Appeals. So COVID brought us that. But the thing I also enjoyed during COVID was that I got to watch the interviews uh, from the Trial Court Vacancy Committee um, and uh, got to watch lawyers uh, try to plead their case. Uh, and, and then uh, so the trial court, just for those that are listening and what, potentially watching me talk to Judge Sanchez, um, so the trial court vacancy interviews, uh, however many applicants, and then they cut that down to three. And, uh, so, uh, then governor Lee, um, gets to select one of the three. And there is a possibility that if he doesn't like one, he kicks it back and they got to submit more, but you're one of three. And, uh, so then you, I guess you had to go through an interview with governor Lee, um, and then uh, he selected you, and uh, I think that was September of 22, right? That's correct, yeah, September 28, 2022. I'll, I'll never, never forget that day. Um, what I can say, I was just going through that whole process. It was so rigorous. It was uh, kind of intimidating, really. And, and one thing that made it challenging for me is all the other folks who applied with me, they were all people that I consider my friends. So it was, mm. uh, it, you know, you threw that kind of, uh, wrench in there and then just going uh, appearing before the trial court uh, vacancy commission and um, these are folks who are uh, some one of which is a, a retired supreme court justice bill coke and mm -hmm. uh, all these folks in major law firms and uh, major corporations so it's not just restricted to lawyers but it was a little intimidating but uh, like you said fortunately i made it through to the the, the top three and then at that point uh, we had to go to We'd go to Nashville uh, and meet with the governor's legal team on one occasion. And hmm. then probably about six weeks later, we went back and met with uh, with Governor. That's cool. Um, so then, uh, I'm sure you didn't. Uh, 
well, I know you didn't waste any time. You went right to the bench uh, after the appointment. Um, and so uh, those of us uh, that are, are aware of the Judicial District 6, which is Knox County, uh, you serve with uh, you, you, your Division 2. You have Judge Sword and uh, Judge Green, uh, Judge Steve Sword and Judge Scott Green. Uh, and uh, you all have a... If COVID did anything, it backed up the court docket. And of course, being the third largest municipality in the state, uh, we have plenty of folks um, filling up the docket on a daily basis of criminal court. And uh, I know y'all have been pretty busy um, right after you were able to get back into, right after Sword and Green and Hickson. Uh, and I know y'all have been pretty busy. Uh, so how has the how has the court docket been? And of course, I know we can't talk about specifics, but. Sure, yeah, so there are three criminal court divisions. We each, um, we each have uh, probably right around 1,200 cases each. Wow. To us on an annual basis. And that's dealing with everything from new cases coming through grand jury to arraignments, uh, uh, trials, uh, motions, practice, uh, petitions, dealing with post-conviction relief, uh, things like that. So it, it is pretty voluminous for each criminal court division. One thing I'd like to brag a little bit on uh, Judge Kyle Hicks, and uh, he left me in, in really good shape. Uh, he worked really hard when he was uh, on the criminal court bench for upwards of two years and really cleared up a lot of um, kind of the effect of COVID in the backlog, so to speak. So hmm. uh, I'm very grateful to him. But going in there, like you said, I mean, one day I was a, a prosecutor, and the next day I was a criminal court judge, and I didn't have the opportunity to attend uh, judges school oh yeah they, they call it they call that they call that baby judge school don't they <laughs> yeah i think i just missed it It was actually august <laughs> right right <laughs> wow One thing i can tell you is just um the years of experience that i had as a prosecutor working in uh these three criminal courts uh, i was surprised at how much kind of i knew that i didn't appreciate that i would be competent in understanding how mm. Um, so that helped, but also, I mean, I specialized in, in violent crimes for right. uh, the last, you know, I, I was at the DA's office for eight years for which were the first four were, I was a uh, drug prosecutor and the latter four, uh, was dedicated to major crimes and homicides and stuff. So, uh, one thing that was kind of alarming and eye opening to me is, Hey, Hey, you have to now become competent in all different areas of, of the law and all different types of charges, things that I wouldn't necessarily concern myself with before because I didn't need to. Um, so it's, it, it, it's, it was certainly interesting. Um, one way I describe it is it felt like I kind of was drinking out of a water hose for mm. the first couple months. But I will tell you that I, I leaned uh, heavily upon Judge Steve Sword and Judge Scott Green. And they, they, they helped me a lot. So I really am grateful to both of them. Well, and you know, you, you hear that. I, mean, I think, I think particularly during the, I, I say you hear that. I guess I, I heard that some as I, as I listened and watched some of these trial court vacancy committee hearings, uh, well, uh, interviews, um, you know, it's interesting because you get people, you get people that come from the defense bar that want to be a judge and, you know, they think, hey, you know, we, somebody should be a, a defense guy to be a judge. And then, you know, folks like you that have come up through the prosecutorial side, you know, um, so, I mean, it's interesting. It's, uh, I know uh, Judge Sword came from the DA's office. You came from the DA's office. You know, Judge Green had a little bit of uh, prosecutorial experience, but then he went out on the on the defense side. But you know, at the end of the day, uh, if somebody, in my opinion, as a layman, uh, 
who would like to think he's a lawyer because he watched Boston Legal and, and a few a, a few other a, a few other good shows, you know, is that you know as a judge, my opinion is you're just the one being the umpire, the referee. You're calling the balls and strikes, and I mean, you, I mean, obviously you, you've got to be able to identify when the prosecution might veer off, and you got to you got to make sure that the defense doesn't veer off, and then also you got to. Make sure the jury understands what they need to do when they go back, right? So, I mean, that's that's really your role. I mean, you're so I, I would yeah. assume. It's interesting because um, you know I think just naturally people do have that kind of presupposed fear that hey, this guy's just going to be a prosecutor with a robot, essentially. Yeah. Right. Really, once you understand kind of the function of a judge uh, to be a fair and neutral. Uh, judge who enters the evidence or excuse me judgment based on the law and the evidence and that's all you know it, it certainly makes makes the job up there a bit easier um so well, it, the, it wasn't hard i don't think for me and the and the other the other thing a judge doesn't want to be he doesn't want to be overturned on numerous occasions and that's that's always a possibility on any case i guess is that it could go up to up to the next appeal court and you know no, nobody wants nobody wants to be overturned so you know you've always I guess as a trial judge, you've always you've always got the potential of uh, the appellate court looking over your shoulder. So, um, sure. I mean, you know, it is what it is. But um, so here we are. Uh, you uh, you kicked off your campaign uh, sometime last uh, fall of twenty three, and wow, you wound up with um, without an opponent on the ballot. I tell people all the time. We have opponents. It's just sometimes sometimes they don't show up on the ballot. But uh, no opponent in the Republican primary, no opponent in the Democrat primary. So your committee and folks that are listening or watching, judges uh, have the they have a little bit of different uh, little different rules in the fact that um, you know that they have a committee that that has to do most of the fundraising and, and all that kind of stuff. So you're you're a little hands off as a judge and in 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 those aspects but um are you still getting out and um trying to do a little bit of what you can do when you when you're not in the courtroom um to to get to march the 5th and then uh, august the 2nd um because i know i mean you were ready you were ready for a full-on campaign but now here we sit so yeah i mean i'm so fortunate and blessed to be in the, the posture i'm in but i don't want to recite that some children too, right? I am married uh, to my wife, Kimberly, yep. and uh, fortunately, through, through that marriage, I gained a uh, stepson, Ethan, who is cool. 17, he'll be 18 uh, in the spring, so we're looking forward to that, he graduated high school, so he's wow. really, really a, a super uh, young man. That's awesome. Well, I'm not going to keep you much longer. I am, uh, I, I did just do uh, your episode 149, uh, just did... Um, Episode 148 with our uh, Republican Nascan Law Director David Book, uh, and uh, I know the bar. I know the bar results came out. Uh, I was finished up. David had did his he did his closing. And I'm like, oh, by the way, I did see the bar results. Um, 
And so I'm going to be posting those a little bit later on brianhornback.com. But uh, fortunately, you got a very high rating. But then again, there was nobody to rate against you. But I know you would have still had that same high rating had you had an opponent. But, uh, you know, well, I, I certainly appreciate that. I, to me, it's affirmation, though, I think, um, from all the folks at the bar that it makes me feel like I'm doing a good job. Right. The folks uh, are giving me those ratings and they, they truly do believe that I'm uh, serving the capacity of the judge as I should. Right. Fair and detached, so. Well, and, and that was the point I made with, um, with the law director was that, I mean, when you do have an opponent or if you don't have an opponent, I mean, they could have easily just left yours blank, but you know, they didn't. Uh, so I think that is, uh, from what I've seen in, in my years of, of politics and looking at judge, judge contest and attorney generals and public defenders and, and, uh, law directors. I mean, I, I do think that is, uh, it's just like with school board. I mean, you know, but the funny thing about lawyers is the comparison to school board is, you know, teachers have a lot to say uh, during an election, and sometimes they're not always the ones that get out and vote. And it, I've noticed that with lawyers too, you know, they get involved and sometimes they don't always show up to vote. But, you know, at some point, both parties have to figure out a way to get people out to vote because um, the, the voting uh, is, is trending down, uh, in the state of Tennessee. And, you know, two years in a row, we've been, uh, selected by the Heritage Foundation as the number one in, in the nation for election integrity. And it's like, Hey, how can we be so good? But we got so few people voting, but anyway, uh, that's my, right. Right. Well, I'll, I'll let you close it out. And I appreciate you being here on the Brian Hornback experience. Well, Brian, thank you so much. Uh, and all the folks listening, uh, it's such an honor to, to be able to serve uh, the citizens of Knox County and, and the capacity of that I do as a criminal court judge. And I certainly uh, appreciate the opportunity to speak to you, Brian. And uh, yep. if you need anything, you know where to find us. Well, same thing here. Uh, anytime I can do anything for you or Judge Sword or George, uh, Judge Green, um, and anytime y'all need to get any information out, I'm here. So I appreciate you. We'll talk to you soon. All right, so have a good Thanks, time. Judge. Bye.